0: Section 36 of Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 3 by John Calvin. Translated by Henry Beveridge. Chapter 20, Part 4. 26 BUT SOME SEEM TO BE MOVED BY THE FACT THAT THE PRAYERS OF SAINTS ARE OFTEN SAID TO HAVE BEEN HEARD. WHY? BECAUSE THEY PRAYED. THEY CRIED UNTO THEE, SAYS THE PSALMIST, AND WERE DELIVERED, THEY TRUSTED IN THEE, AND WERE NOT CONFOUNDED. PSALMS 22, VERSE 5. LET US ALSO PRAY, AFTER THEIR EXAMPLE, THAT LIKE THEM WE TOO MAY BE HEARD. Those men, on the contrary, absurdly argue that none will be heard but those who have been heard already. How much better does James argue? Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. James 5, verses 17 and 18 what does he infer that elias possessed some peculiar privilege and that we must have recourse to him for the use of it by no means he shows the perpetual efficacy of a pure and pious prayer that we may be induced in like manner to pray for the kindness and readiness of god to hear others is malignantly interpreted if their example does not inspire us with stronger confidence in his promise, since his declaration is not that he will incline his ear to one or two, or a few individuals, but to all who call upon his name. In this ignorance they are the less excusable, because they seem, as it were, avowedly to contemn the many admonitions of scripture. David was repeatedly delivered by the power of God. Was this to give that power to him, that we might be delivered on his application? Very different is his affirmation. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. Psalms 142, verse 7. Again, the righteous also shall see, and fear, and shall laugh at him. Psalms 52, verse 6. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. Psalms thirty four verse six. In the Psalms are many similar prayers in which David calls upon God to give him what he asks for this reason, viz. that the righteous may not be put to shame, but by his example encouraged to hope. Here let one passage suffice. For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Psalms thirty two verse six. This passage I have quoted the more readily. Because those ravers who employ their hireling tongues in defence of the papacy are not ashamed to adduce it in proof of the intercession of the dead, as if David intended anything more than to show the benefit which he shall obtain from the divine clemency and condescension when he shall have been heard. In general, we must hold that the experience of the grace of God, as well towards ourselves as towards others, tends in no slight degree to confirm our faith in his promises. I do not quote the many passages in which David sets forth the loving kindness of God to him as a ground of confidence, as they will readily occur to every reader of the Psalms. Jacob had previously taught the same thing by his own example. I am not worthy of the least of all thy mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant, for with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Genesis thirty two verse ten. He indeed alleges the promise, but not the promise only, for he at the same time adds the effect, to animate him with greater confidence in the future kindness of God. God is not like men who grow weary of their liberality, or whose means of exercising it become exhausted, but he is to be estimated by his own nature, as David properly does when he says, Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth, Psalms 31, verse 5. After ascribing the praise of his salvation to God, he adds that he is true. For were he not ever like himself, his past favor would not be an infallible ground for confidence and prayer. But when we know that as often as he assists us, he gives us a specimen and proof of his goodness and faithfulness, there is no reason to fear that our hope will be ashamed or frustrated. Twenty-seven. On the whole, since Scripture places the principal part of worship in the invocation of God, this being the office of piety which He requires of us in preference to all sacrifices, it is manifest sacrilege to offer prayer to others. Hence it is said in the psalm, If we have forgotten the name of our God, or stretched out our hands to a strange God, shall not God search this out? Psalms 44, verses 20 and 21 Again, since it is only in faith that God desires to be invoked, and he distinctly enjoins us to frame our prayers according to the rule of his word, In fine, since faith is founded on the word, and is the parent of right prayer, the moment we decline from the word, our prayers are impure. But we have already shown that if we consult the whole volume of scripture, we shall find that God claims this honor to himself alone, in regard to the office of intercession we have also seen that it is peculiar to christ and that no prayer is agreeable to god which he as mediator does not sanctify and though believers mutually offer up prayers to god in behalf of their brethren we have shown that this derogates in no respect from the sole intercession of christ because all trust to that intercession in commending themselves as well as others to god moreover we have shown that this is ignorantly transferred to the dead of whom we nowhere read that they were commanded to pray for us the scripture often exhorts us to offer up mutual prayers but says not one syllable concerning the dead nay james tacitly excludes the dead when he combines the two things to confess our sins one to another and to pray one for another James 5, verse 16. Hence it is sufficient to condemn this error, that the beginning of right prayer springs from faith, and that faith comes by the hearing of the word of God, in which there is no mention of fictitious intercession, superstition having rashly adopted intercessors who have not been divinely appointed. While the scripture abounds in various forms of prayer, we find no example of this intercession, without which papists think there is no prayer. Moreover, it is evident that this superstition is the result of distrust, because they are either not contented with Christ as an intercessor, or have altogether robbed him of this honor. This last is easily proved by their effrontery in maintaining, as the strongest of all their arguments for the intercession of the saints, that we are unworthy of familiar access to God. This, indeed, we acknowledge to be most true, but we thence infer that they leave nothing to Christ, because they consider his intercession as nothing, unless it is supplemented by that of George and Hippolyte, and similar phantoms. 28. But though prayer is properly confined to vows and supplications, yet so strong is the affinity between petition and thanksgiving, that both may be conveniently comprehended under one name. For the forms which Paul enumerates, 1 Timothy 2, verse 1, fall under the first member of this division by prayer and supplication we pour out our desires before god asking as well those things which tend to promote his glory and display his name as the benefits which contribute to our advantage by thanksgiving we duly celebrate his kindnesses toward us ascribing to his liberality every blessing which enters into our lot david accordingly includes both in one sentence call upon me in the day of trouble i will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me Psalms 50, verse 15. Scripture, not without reason, commands us to use both continually. We have already described the greatness of our want, while experience itself proclaims the straits which press us on every side to be so numerous and so great, that all have sufficient ground to send forth sighs and groans to God without intermission, and suppliantly implore him. For even should they be exempt from adversity, still the holiest ought to be stimulated first by their sins, and secondly, by the innumerable assaults of temptation to long for a remedy. The sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving can never be interrupted without guilt, since God never ceases to load us with favor upon favor, so as to force us to gratitude, however slow and sluggish we may be in short so great and widely diffused are the riches of his liberality towards us so marvellous and wondrous the miracles which we behold on every side that we never can want a subject and materials for praise and thanksgiving to make this somewhat clearer since all our hopes and resources are placed in god this has already been fully proved so that neither our persons nor our interests can prosper without his blessing we must constantly submit ourselves and our all to him then whatever we deliberate, speak, or do should be deliberated, spoken, and done under his hand and will, in fine, under the hope of his assistance. God has pronounced a curse upon all who, confiding in themselves or others, form plans and resolutions, who, without regarding his will or invoking his aid, either plan or attempt to execute. James 4.14, Isaiah 30, verse 1, 31, verse 1, And since, as has already been observed, he receives the honor which is due when he is acknowledged to be the author of all good, it follows that, in deriving all good from his hand, we ought continually to express our thankfulness, and that we have no right to use the benefits which proceed from his liberality, if we do not assiduously proclaim his praise and give him thanks, these being the ends for which they are given. When Paul declares that every creature of God is sanctified by the word of God and prayers, 1 Timothy 4, verse 5, he intimates that without the word and prayers none of them are holy and pure, word being used metonymically for faith. Hence David, on experiencing the loving kindness of the Lord, elegantly declares, He hath put a new song in my mouth, Psalms 40, verse 3, intimating that our silence is malignant when we leave his blessings unpraised, seeing every blessing he bestows is a new ground of thanksgiving. Thus Isaiah, proclaiming the singular mercies of God, says, "Sing unto the Lord a new song," Isaiah 42:10. In the same sense, David says in another passage, "O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise," Psalms 51:15. In like manner, Hezekiah and Jonah declare that they will regard it as the end of their deliverance to celebrate the goodness of God with songs in His temple, Isaiah 38:20, and Jonah. Verse 10. David lays down a general rule for all believers in these words What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Psalms 116, verse 12 and 13. This rule the church follows in another psalm Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the heathen, to give thanks unto thy holy name and to triumph in thy praise. Psalms 106. Verse 47. Again, he will regard the prayer of the destitute, and not despise their prayer. This shall be written for the generation to come, and the people which shall be created shall praise the Lord, to declare the name of the Lord in Zion, and his praise in Jerusalem. Psalms 102, verses 18 and 21 nay whenever believers beseech the lord to do anything for his own name's sake as they declare themselves unworthy of obtaining it in their own name so they oblige themselves to give thanks and promise to make the right use of his loving-kindness by being the heralds of it thus hosea speaking of the future redemption of the church says take away all iniquity and receive us graciously so will we render the calves of our lips hosea fourteen verse two Not only do our tongues proclaim the kindness of God, but they naturally inspire us with love to him. I love the Lord, because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. Psalms 116, verse 1. In another passage, speaking of the help which he had experienced, he says, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. Psalms 18, verse 1. No praise will ever please God that does not flow from this feeling of love. Nay, we must attend to the declaration of Paul, that all wishes are vicious and perverse, which are not accompanied with thanksgiving. His words are, In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Philippians 4, verse 6 Because many, under the influence of moroseness, weariness, impatience, bitter grief, and fear, use murmuring in their prayers, he enjoins us so to regulate our feelings as cheerfully to bless God even before obtaining what we ask. But if this connection ought always to subsist in full vigor between things that are almost contrary, the more sacred is the tie which binds us to celebrate the praises of God whenever he grants our requests. And as we have already shown that our prayers which otherwise would be polluted are sanctified by the intercession of Christ, so the Apostle, by enjoining us to offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually by Christ, hebrews thirteen verse fifteen reminds us that without the intervention of his priesthood our lips are not pure enough to celebrate the name of god hence we infer that a monstrous delusion prevails among papists the great majority of whom wonder when christ is called an intercessor the reason why paul enjoins pray without ceasing and everything give thanks first thessalonians five verses seventeen and eighteen is because he would have us with the utmost assiduity at all times in every place in all things and under all circumstances direct our prayers to god to expect all the things which we desire from him and when obtained ascribe them to him thus furnishing perpetual grounds for prayer and praise twenty nine this assiduity in prayer though it specially refers to the peculiar private prayers of individuals extends also in some measure to the public prayers of the church These, it may be said, cannot be continual, and ought not to be made except in the manner which, for the sake of order, has been established by public consent. This I admit, and hence certain hours are fixed beforehand, hours which, though indifferent in regard to God, are necessary for the use of man, that the general convenience may be consulted, and all things be done in the church, as Paul enjoins, decently and in order. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40 but there is nothing in this to prevent each church from being now and then stirred up to a more frequent use of prayer and being more zealously affected under the impulse of some greater necessity of perseverance in prayer which is much akin to assiduity we shall speak towards the close of this chapter sections fifty-one and fifty-two this assiduity moreover is very different from the vato liyan, vain speaking which our savior has prohibited matthew six verse seven For he does not there forbid us to pray long or frequently, or with great fervor, but warns us against supposing that we can extort anything from God by importuning him with garrulous loquacity, as if he were to be persuaded after the manner of men. We know that hypocrites, because they consider not that they have to do with God, offer up their prayers as pompously as if it were part of a triumphal show. The Pharisee, who thanked god that he was not as other men no doubt proclaimed his praises before men as if he had wished to gain a reputation for sanctity by his prayers hence that vain speaking for which a similar reason prevails so much in the papacy in the present days. some vainly spinning out the time by a reiteration of the same frivolous prayers and others employing a long series of verbiage for vulgar display this childish garrulity being a mockery of god it is not strange that it is prohibited in the church in order that every feeling there expressed may be sincere, proceeding from the inmost heart. Akin to this abuse is another which our Savior also condemns, namely, when hypocrites for the sake of ostentation court the presence of many witnesses, and would sooner pray in the marketplace than pray without applause. The true object of prayer being, as we have already said, sections 4 and 5, carry our thoughts directly to god whether to celebrate his praise or implore his aid we can easily see that its primary seat is in the mind and heart or rather that prayer itself is properly an effusion and manifestation of internal feeling before him who is the searcher of our hearts hence as has been said when our divine master was pleased to lay down the best rule for prayer his injunction was Enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Matthew 6, verse 6. Dissuading us from the example of hypocrites who sought the applause of men by an ambitious ostentation in prayer, he adds the better course. Enter thy chamber, shut thy door, and there pray. By these words, as I understand them, he taught us to seek a place of retirement which might enable us to turn all our thoughts inwards, and enter deeply into our hearts, promising that God would hold converse with the feelings of our mind, of which the body ought to be the temple. He meant not to deny that it may be expedient to pray in other places also, but he shows that prayer is somewhat of a secret nature, having its chief seat in the mind, and requiring a tranquility far removed from the turmoil of ordinary cares." And hence it was not without cause that our Lord himself, when he would engage more earnestly in prayer, withdrew into a retired spot beyond the bustle of the world, thus reminding us by his example that we are not to neglect those helps which enable the mind, in itself too much disposed to wander, to become sincerely intent on prayer. Meanwhile, as he abstained not from prayer when the occasion required it, though he were in the midst of a crowd, so must we, whenever there is need, lift up pure hands. First Timothy 2 verse 8. At all places. And hence we must hold that he who declines to pray in the public meetings of the saints knows not what it is to pray apart in retirement or at home. On the other hand, he who neglects to pray alone and in private, however sedulously he frequents public meetings, there gives his prayers to the wind, because he defers more to the opinion of man than to the secret judgment of God. Still, lest the public prayers of the church should be held in contempt, the Lord anciently bestowed upon them the most honorable appellation, especially when He called the temple the house of prayer isaiah fifty six verse seven for by this expression, he both showed that the duty of prayer is a principal part of his worship, and that to enable believers to engage in it with one consent, his temple is set up before them as a kind of banner. A noble promise was also added praise waiteth for thee o god in sion and unto thee shall the vow be performed psalm sixty five verse one by these words the psalmist reminds us that the prayers of the church are never in vain because god always furnishes his people with materials for a song of joy but although the shadows of the law have ceased yet because god was pleased by this ordinance to foster the unity of the faith among us also there can be no doubt that the same promise belongs to us A promise which Christ sanctioned with his own lips, and which Paul declares to be perpetually in force. 30. As God in his word enjoins common prayer, so public temples are the places destined for the performance of them, and hence those who refuse to join with the people of God in this observance have no ground for the pretext that they enter their chamber in order that they may obey the command of the Lord for he who promises to grant whatsoever two or three assembled in his name shall ask matthew eighteen verse twenty declares that he by no means despises the prayers which are publicly offered up provided there be no ostentation or catching at human applause and provided there be a true and sincere affection in the secret recesses of the heart if this is the legitimate use of churches and it certainly is We must, on the other hand, beware of imitating the practice which commenced some centuries ago of imagining that churches are the proper dwellings of God, where he is more ready to listen to us, or of attaching to them some kind of secret sanctity which makes prayer there more holy. For seeing we are the true temples of God, we must pray in ourselves if we would invoke God in his holy temple. Let us leave such gross ideas to the Jews or the heathen, knowing that we have a command to pray without distinction of place, in spirit and in truth. John 4, verse 23. It is true that by the order of God the temple was anciently dedicated for the offering of prayers and sacrifices, but this was at a time when the truth, which being now fully manifested we are not permitted to confine to any material temple, lay hid under the figure of shadows. Even the temple was not represented to the Jews as confining the presence of God within its walls, but was meant to train them to contemplate the image of the true temple. Accordingly, a severe rebuke is administered both by Isaiah and Stephen to those who thought that God could in any way dwell in temples made with hands. Isaiah 66, verse 2, and Acts 7, verse 48. 31 hence it is perfectly clear that neither words nor singing if used in prayer are of the least consequence or avail one iota with god unless they proceed from deep feeling in the heart nay rather they provoke his anger against us if they come from the lips and throat only since this is to abuse his sacred name and hold his majesty in derision this we infer from the words of isaiah which though their meaning is of wider extent go to rebuke this vice also Forasmuch as as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honour me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men, therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvellous work among this people, even a marvellous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. Isaiah 29, verse 13 still we do not condemn words or singing but rather greatly commend them provided the feeling of the mind goes along with them for in this way the thought of god is kept alive on our minds which from their fickle and versatile nature soon relax and are distracted by various objects unless various means are used to support them besides since the glory of god ought in a manner to be displayed in each part of our body the special service to which the tongue should be devoted is that of singing and speaking inasmuch as it has been expressly created to declare and proclaim the praise of god this employment of the tongue is chiefly in the public services which are performed in the meeting of the saints in this way the god whom we serve in one spirit and one faith we glorify together as it were with one voice and one mouth and that openly, so that each may in turn receive the confession of his brother's faith, and be invited and incited to imitate it. 32. It is certain that the use of singing in churches, which I may mention in passing, is not only very ancient, but was also used by the apostles, as we may gather from the words of Paul. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 15. In like manner he says to the Colossians, Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Colossians 3, verse 16. In the former passage he enjoins us to sing with the voice and the heart. In the latter he commends spiritual songs by which the pious mutually edify each other. That it was not an universal practice, however, is attested by Augustine, who states that the Church of Milan first began to use singing in the time of Ambrose, when the Orthodox faith being persecuted by Justina, the mother of Valentinian, the vigils of the people were more frequent than usual, and that the practice was afterwards followed by the other Western churches. He had said a little before that the custom came from the East. He also intimates that it was received in Africa in his own time his words are Hilarius, a man of tribunicial rank assailed with the bitterest invectives he could use the custom which then began to exist at carthage of singing hymns from the book of psalms at the altar either before the oblation or when it was distributed to the people i answered him at the request of my brethren and certainly if singing is tempered to a gravity befitting the presence of god and angels it both gives dignity and grace to sacred actions and has a very powerful tendency to stir up the mind to true zeal and ardor in prayer we must however carefully beware lest our ears be more intent on the music than our minds on the spiritual meaning of the words Augustine confesses that the fear of this danger sometimes made him wish for the introduction of a practice observed by Athanasius, who ordered the reader to use only a gentle inflection of the voice more akin to recitation than singing. But on again considering how many advantages were derived from singing, he inclined to the other side. If this moderation is used, there cannot be a doubt that the practice is most sacred and salutary on the other hand songs composed merely to tickle and delight the ear are unbecoming the majesty of the church and cannot but be most displeasing to god thirty three it is also plain that the public prayers are not to be couched in greek among the latins nor in latin among the french or english as hitherto has been everywhere practised but in the vulgar tongue so that all present may understand them since they ought to be used for the edification of the whole church which cannot be in the least degree benefited by a sound not understood those who are not moved by any reason of humanity or charity ought at least to be somewhat moved by the authority of paul whose words are by no means ambiguous when thou shalt bless with the spirit how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest for thou verily givest thanks but the other is not edified first corinthians fourteen verses sixteen and seventeen How, then, can one sufficiently admire the unbridled license of the Papists who, while the Apostle publicly protests against it, hesitate not to bawl out the most verbose prayers in a foreign tongue, prayers of which they themselves sometimes do not understand one syllable, and which they have no wish that others should understand? Different is the course which Paul prescribes. What is it, then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I WILL SING WITH THE SPIRIT, AND I WILL SING WITH THE UNDERSTANDING ALSO, MEANING BY THE SPIRIT THE SPECIAL GIFT OF TONGUES WHICH SOME WHO HAD RECEIVED IT ABUSED WHEN THEY dissevered IT FROM THE MIND, THAT IS, THE UNDERSTANDING. THE PRINCIPLE WE MUST ALWAYS HOLD IS THAT IN ALL PRAYER, PUBLIC AND PRIVATE, THE TONGUE WITHOUT THE MIND MUST BE DISPLEASING TO GOD. Moreover, the mind must be so incited as an ardor of thought far to surpass what the tongue is able to express. Lastly, the tongue is not even necessary to private prayer, unless in so far as the internal feeling is insufficient for incitement, or the vehemence of the incitement carries the utterance of the tongue along with it. For although the best prayers are sometimes without utterance, yet when the feeling of the mind is overpowering, the tongue spontaneously breaks forth into utterance, and our other members into gesture. Hence that dubious muttering of Hannah, 1 Samuel 1, verse 13, something similar to which is experienced by all saints when concise and abrupt expressions escape from them. The bodily gestures usually observed in prayer, such as kneeling and uncovering of the head, are exercises by which we attempt to rise to higher veneration of God. 34 we must now attend not only to a sure method, but also form of prayer, that namely, which our Heavenly Father has delivered to us by His beloved Son, and in which we may recognize His boundless goodness and condescension. Matthew 6, verse 9. Luke 11, verse 2. Besides admonishing and exhorting us to seek Him in our every necessity, as children are wont to betake themselves to the protection of their parents when oppressed with any anxiety, seeing that we were not fully aware how great our poverty was, or what was right or for our interest to ask, he has provided for this ignorance, that wherein our capacity failed, he has sufficiently supplied. For he has given us a form in which is set before us, as in a picture, everything which it is lawful to wish, everything which is conducive to our interest, everything which it is necessary to demand, from his goodness in this respect we derive the great comfort of knowing that as we ask almost in his words we ask nothing that is absurd or foreign or unreasonable nothing in short that is not agreeable to him plato seeing the ignorance of men in presenting their desires to god desires which if granted would often be most injurious to them declares the best form of prayer to be that which an ancient poet has furnished o king jupiter give what is best whether we wish it or wish it not but avert us from what is evil even though we ask it this heathen shows his wisdom in discerning how dangerous it is to ask of god what our own passion dictates while at the same time he reminds us of our unhappy condition in not being able to open our lips before god without dangers unless his spirit instruct us how to pray aright romans eight verse twenty six the higher value therefore Ought we to set on the privilege when the only begotten Son of God puts words into our lips and thus relieves our minds of all hesitation thirty five this form or rule of prayer is comprised of six petitions for I am prevented from agreeing with those who divide it into seven by the adversative mode of diction used by the evangelist who appears to have intended to unite the two members together as if he had said do not allow us to be overcome by temptation but rather bring assistance to our frailty and deliver us that we may not fall ancient writers also agree with us that what is added by matthew as a seventh head is to be considered as explanatory of the sixth petition but though in every part of the prayer the first place is assigned to the glory of god still this is more especially the object of the three first petitions in which we are to look to the glory of god alone without any reference to what is called our own advantage. The three remaining petitions are devoted to our interest, and properly relate to things which it is useful for us to ask. When we ask that the name of God may be hallowed, as God wishes to prove whether we love and serve him freely, or from the hope of reward, we are not to think at all of our own interest. We must set his glory before our eyes, and keep them intent upon it alone in the other similar petitions this is the only manner in which we ought to be affected. it is true that in this way our own interest is greatly promoted because when the name of god is hallowed in the way we ask our own sanctification also is thereby promoted but in regard to this advantage we must as i have said shut our eyes and be in a manner blind so as not even to see it and hence were all hope of our private advantage cut off we still should never cease to wish and pray for this hallowing and everything else which pertains to the glory of God. We have examples in Moses and Paul who do not count it grievous to turn away their eyes and minds from themselves and with intense and fervent zeal long for death if by their loss the kingdom and glory of God might be promoted. Exodus 32 verse 32 Romans 9 verse 3 on the other hand, when we ask for daily bread, although we desire what is advantageous for ourselves, we ought also especially to seek the glory of God, so much so, that we would not ask at all unless it were to turn to his glory. Let us now proceed to an exposition of the prayer. End of section 36 Recording by Guero.